Well, good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing this morning? Okay, welcome to everyone here in the room. If you would, please help me welcome those that are joining us online today. We're so glad that you're joining with us. I'm John Pierce. I'm the pastor of Recovery Ministries. Um, pastor Mike and Lori had to leave town uh, kind of short notice. They're out of town this weekend, and so they've asked me to kind of step in. Uh, trust me, if Pastor Mike could be here on Mother's Day, he certainly would be. But uh, I would ask you to please lift them up in prayer for Journey Mercies. And in fact, let's, let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just thank you for today. Uh, thank you for Mother's Day and all that it represents. Uh, we just lift up uh, Pastor Mike and Miss Lori. We just pray Journey Mercies on them um, this weekend as they are traveling. And uh, Lord, I just pray you'll help me step out of the way that your Holy Spirit would uh, come through and speak into hearts and minds the message that you would have, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So we are um, in this message series on Triggered. Today we're going to kind of carry that uh, into week two, looking at defining or redefining your legacy. But before we kind of dive into that, we do want to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone that's here in the room. Thank you for all your sacrifice, those uh, late nights, the endless teachings, nothing we can do to repay that, but as scripture tells us here in Ephesians 6, 2-3, we do want to honor you. We are commanded to honor our father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. The implication being if you don't, then you won't. So that's one of those scriptures I kind of pay attention to. I, I might want to do that one. But honor... That's a different word than obey, so when we talk about our parents, after you become an adult and you're not under their authority anymore, you're not commanded to obey your parents, but we still have a lifetime expectation from God to honor our parents, no matter how old you are, no matter how old they are. And so that is uh, honor, respect. Um, you'll have to kind of see how that works for you in your particular situation. I know with me, uh, my father was 1,100 miles away. And so uh, I chose, I would call him every Sunday night at 8.30 and we'd talk for an hour. We didn't talk about anything other than just the mundane details of our week. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what we did. Um, as you know, I was up here a couple weeks ago. My dad had passed away. I, I got to go home and do the uh, celebration of life with my dad and my dad's wife. Uh, my mother passed away seven years ago, so he had remarried just a couple years ago. But... She was able to share with me that uh, my dad really looked forward to that time. He would talk about it all the time. It was, uh, he'd make sure he, whatever he's doing, he'd stop what he's doing to be sitting by the phone at 8.30 ready for me to call him. Um, again, not a big deal to me. It meant a lot to him, and that's kind of how I, as an adult child, just tried to show honor and respect for my dad. So as a church, we're trying to show honor to all you mothers today. Um, in the cafe, if you haven't found it yet, um, it's like the mother load of flowers, um, both in the creations that they made as well as just the bouquets that you can make. Uh, Miss Shannon and a whole host of volunteers that would take all morning to list out here spent a ton of time building all that in there just to try to honor you today. So hopefully um, you can get in there and get a picture taken with what they've got going on in there. Um, but Mother's Day isn't always a joyful time for everybody. Some of you in the room or maybe online have 
struggle with infertility. You want to be a mother, but um, so far God has not allowed that to, to transpire. You may have death in your family. I mentioned my mom has passed away. You may have parents that are deceased, or as mothers in this room today, you may have children that have passed away, or your significant other. Sometimes we have children that have kind of straight away, we have strained relationships. Um, as children, looking back at your childhood with your parents, uh, there may have been some abuse or neglect. Um, and so celebrating this kind of day is sometimes difficult. I just want to remind you, we do have the VIP team that uh, they would love to sit down, and if you need someone just to t get some stuff off your mind, off your chest today, they'd be happy to do that. They'd be happy to pray with you. That is one of the resources we have here at Journey Church, and I'd encourage you to take advantage of that, whether up front or as you go back to the VIP room. But this day is kind of a trigger. Um, that can be a good trigger. It could be a bad trigger. In this series, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, we are going to try to approach this sometimes difficult subject of what triggers are. And so I think Pastor Mike and Pastor Bill did a wonderful job last week kind of getting us started on this. Um, and then just a quick review, kind of some of the stuff they covered. It's a, a stimulus that creates a reaction or a response. It's really kind of a heightened focus. They're really kind of reminders. We also looked at, we're trying to focus this on a wellness aspect. We're not trying to just dwell on the mental disorder side of things, but how do we get well? How do we live a little healthier life? And we're also looking at trying to change triggered from a negative to a positive by allowing God to transform our mind. So pretty much everyday things can be a trigger, a smell, a sound, a word, a date like a holiday or like an anniversary or a birthday of someone that we've lost. It could also be an object. So as I was kind of digging through a few things after getting back home from my dad's, um, I, I found this Bible. It's a little worn. It's about 40 years old. I just dated myself. But um, this was given to me on my birthday, my senior year of high school. And so it, it bears lots of memories. It immediately evokes, you know, that was in the fall. I'm thinking the senior year of high school, just getting started playing football. We were 3-0. and We were on our way. You know, we were going to go conquer the world. But then also it reminds me that both my mom and dad are deceased now who gave me this. And so it can be a negative trigger as well. And I really have the choice. Am I going to allow God to transform my mind? Am I going to focus on the negative, or am I going to turn that, and I choose to focus on the positive, the pleasant memories that come and accompany this object, but that's the choice I have to make. And then as a review, again, we're just talking that there is a spiritual battle, and Satan is trying to seek division. He wants us to focus on that negative aspect, both personally and as we um, interact with other people, whereas Jesus desires unity in our community and we see that we heal best in community and that discipleship is critical to unity and that's why we focus 
on life group so much here at Journey and find that very important. So how do we turn these triggers from negatives into positives? And I'm almost reaching back to that big question kind of theme we had going a few weeks ago. In this, that says, can a generational curse be broken? And is there really such a thing as a generational curse? Um, I do a lot of counsel with folks here at, at church. Um, I'm a chaplain in the county jails. Um, I end up working with some folks who've had maybe not the best decision-making through some parts of their life. Um, and oftentimes, I will hear them describing to me this cycle of generational dysfunction. They'll talk about having a generational curse on them. And I believe that is more of a blame shift that started with Adam um, when the Adam and Eve first sinned. Adam said, Eve made me do it. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And that's a, a common thing, but when I have these discussions, they'll often refer me to, well, I read this in Numbers or Exodus. So this passage of scripture, it says that. It says, the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. And so when I look at that kind of literally, that's, I can see where you might come to that. But it's, at the beginning, it talks about how unfailing his love is and how he forgives everything. And now at the end, it's talking about laying sins on generations. And we learn from the big questions that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So as we kind of dig into this further, what we're really looking at and what we're talking about are kind of those natural effects of behavior kind of being naturally handed down from one generation to the next. And that God will consistently apply his holy standard to each successive generation and hold them accountable because as we see here through scripture i think life experience shapes us but it doesn't define us as we look here in ezekiel it says the person who sins is the one who will die the child will not be punished for the parent's sins and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things they have done. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. So we see it's talking to God's judging your own behavior, whether that be righteous or wicked. We have a choice. There's not a curse that is placed on us because really what we're talking about is a learned pattern of behavior 
So if a behavior can be learned, it can be unlearned, and a new pattern of behavior started. And so we see that generational curses can be broken. In that verse, it says, God says, I want them to turn. God is not willing that any should perish. He is patient, but we have to come to his standard and not to our own. And then God promises us through this that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So it's saying that old life is gone. There's no repetition of that old dysfunctional family pattern. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Philippians 2 talks about us continuing to work out our salvation. That's that sanctification process where we're growing closer and becoming more and more like Christ as we grow. And we're still going to make some mistakes, but the the flow of our life is in that, that direction. And so what does that look like? I think we can find clues again in this owner's manual, as I like to call it, that God has given us. That kind of speaks to, in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, it says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important to love your neighbor as yourself. So as I'm looking to break this curse, which we said was not a curse, but a learned pattern of behavior, I think there's a three-part formula that I find here in the scripture. It's a process that involves love. First John 4 says God is love. And so we're talking about love for God, love for others, and love for self. And this is the cycle, how to break the cycle that we've been talking about. So it starts with repentance. Repentance is reconciliation with God. It really means I'm changing my mind that what God says is right is right. What I've been saying is against what he says is wrong. We see here in Peter, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. We see that repent word. In the Greek, it literally means to turn around. It's a military term. Anybody in the military can remember marching It's an about face. That's really what that word means. So I've gone from this direction, going my own way, and I do an about face, and now I'm going back towards what God says is right. I'm moving in obedience to God's word. But I can't do this on my own. Scripture tells me all this is from God. He's going to have to be the one that does it, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I have to do it through Christ. I can't do it on my own, and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So it says he gave us this ministry. It's not that he asked us if we wanted it or not. He said he gave it to us. And the expectation is that we're going to take this and run with it. So in this process, if we are following that, the results that we're supposed to be seeing, like what we see in Second Chronicles 7, 
14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So it's breaking a cycle. It's talking about bringing healing. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it said a new life had come. And that's really just the start. That was only that first part where I'm reconciling to God. Jesus said that second part in Matthew 22 was equally important. And that starts with, I have to internalize my identity in Christ or I need to reconcile with myself. It said I need to love my neighbor as myself. If I don't have a healthy love for myself, I'm going to have an unhealthy love for my neighbor. So it needs to start inside of me. I have to forgive myself oftentimes. That's often the hardest thing for folks to do. It's a, a pride thing almost where I can accept God's forgiveness of sin, but I got to beat myself a little, a little bit more so I feel like I can earn this. Guilt and shame are not the same things. Guilt is used by God very often. It makes me feel bad for what I did. Shame is more of an internalized, I am a bad person. And there's a difference between there. So guilt is not a, it's a feature, not a bug of the way God designed us. Once I feel guilty and I repent, God says, okay, it's worked like it's supposed to. And now I should not be guilty anymore. Satan, however, wants to keep us down. He wants you to start feeling shameful like you are bad, not that you have just done bad things. And he's going to attack you and try to keep you from moving forward. So once I can get to this place of internalizing that now I am a joint heir with Christ, all that silly things I did that were against God, he forgives me and accepts me. Now I, with that type of identity, I can look at others around me And looking at Romans 3, 24, it says, Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So he declares that we are righteous and allows us to be able to move forward and start interacting with our neighbor in the way that he designed us to be. So I have to ask for and offer forgiveness with others. That's the reconciling with other people. Matthew 6 here talks to a scripture that is, is a pretty hard one. It says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I'll often hear um, working with folks that I can forgive everything, but this one thing with this one person, I just can't. I don't know how God could ever expect me to forgive them for what they did to me. In the cases of abuse and trauma, I'm not trying to minimize anything. But this is a hard scripture, and they'll go, God can't really expect it. And I'll tip, basically just say, I just work here. 
this is the owner's manual he gave me. He gave you the same one, and this is what it says. God gave us lots of hard things that he commanded us to do. Love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Um, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do, but it's something that I need to be willing to move forward with in obedience to God. Sometimes people will say, Father will not forgive your sins. It means, am I going to lose my salvation? And I'm like, absolutely not. That is not what this is referring to. John 6, 37 is very clear that says, when Jesus said, those the Father brings to me, I will never reject them. So once you're saved, you are saved. However, your relationship with God is never going to be as intimate, as close as God desires it to be. There's always going to be a heart condition there that is not in alignment with God. And until I get in alignment with the way he wants me to act and to believe, my relationship is going to suffer. And so I also look at Romans 12, 18. It tells me if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, you know, it takes two people to have a relationship and to reconcile. I am responsible for doing my part. I need to reach out and try to make amends and try to patch things up. If the other person does not want to do that, then that becomes on them. But I have done my side of the street. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 takes it even a step further. It talks, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So what this is telling me is I'm supposed to go out of my way if the other person has an issue with me. I'm good. They're the one that's got the problem. God says, don't even waste your time coming to worship me because it's not going to mean nothing until you go and try to make this right with that other person. It doesn't say that we end up getting this reconciled again. I am supposed to make that effort to try, and then it becomes my part done and the other person's responsibility if they do not want to mend that relationship. So that next step then in breaking that cycle, after I've had the weight of sin lifted off of me and I've come to internalize that I am a redeemed child of God, a joint heir with Christ, and I can now begin to love others the way God intends me to be. I've got this alignment all figured out. I think the next thing that that shows us is that we need to consistently model a walk of faith and obedience. Dr. James Dobson, in his book, Your Legacy, a quote from him, it says, children get their values and beliefs from what they see modeled at home. And that's why moms and dads must live a morally consistent life. It isn't just a time to time. It needs to be consistent because inconsistency sometimes is worse showing that what you believe isn't really true. And so it's that consistency that we model what we see. So with folks who are in a pattern of family dysfunction that learn family behavior, they often just don't know that there's anything different. That is normal 
to them. And that's why discipleship is so important to see biblical principles modeled out in front of folks. Uh, we need to take Paul's advice in the midst of this. And it says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. When he's talking about forgetting, it's not really possible to forget. What he's really getting on is not dwelling on it. Um, Paul had a lot of things that could have held him back. He was part of persecuting the church, um, and that could have been used by Satan to, to trip him up to be caught in guilt over his past. But he says he chooses to forget it, not dwell on it, and he chooses to press on. So the illustration of if I'm driving in my truck down I-65, I have a rearview mirror that I use, but I don't drive 75, I mean 70, um, <laughs> some of you caught that. Um, I don't do that staring at that rearview mirror, it ain't going to turn out too well. I do glance at it from time to time because it, what? It builds my awareness of what's around me and informs the way I'm going. I pick up on somebody coming up really fast behind me that's going to possibly be a problem if I change lanes. So it informs the way I'm going to go forward, um, but I can't stare at it. In the same way in my Christian walk, where I've come from helps inform where I'm going. I can celebrate and praise God for how far he has brought me from where I used to be, and I don't allow Satan to keep me down um, with that. So those triggers that Satan is going to try to make negative, what do you think you're doing up there preaching right now? Don't you remember what you used to be like not that long ago? As opposed to, thank you, Lord, for how far you've brought me. Thank you for who I am today. I'm a new creation in Christ. And that is how I start to flip those triggers from something that is negative to something that is positive. I want to give a little encouragement here to the, the parents in the, in the rooms. Um, you may, I'm sorry, I forgot to read the rest of that verse. I apologize. It says, I press on to reach the end of the race and, and the prize. This next point is Proverbs 22.6 tells us to direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. Um, sometimes parents are coming to me, they're wondering if they've done enough, if they could have done more. Um, and we get back to, as we talked earlier, we all have a choice. I've seen some children that grew up in the best of homes and have rebelled, and I've seen others that grew up in rebellious households that are doing well. Again, each individual has that choice, but as a parent, don't lose hope. Me at age 50 is when I finally got to a place where God had beat me down or allowed me to beat myself down to a place where I was willing to finally submit and to surrender. And because of my parents' upbringing, I knew who to go to and how to do it. So don't lose heart. There's hope always. And continue to pray for those that are out there.
Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I had a host of people praying for me. It could be praying for children or it could be children praying for parents. Oftentimes, adults come to the Lord and they start trying to witness to their adult parents. And I've heard many a testimony of persistent prayer and witnessing and parents coming to the Lord before they passed on um, at the end of their life. And so don't give up. Continue to persistently pray for those that you're concerned with. The last word of encouragement is from Matthew 25, 21. It says, Jesus is talking about uh, the reward for a faithful servant. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So as I was up here a couple weeks ago, I said I was going home to do my dad's uh, celebration of life. And so I got to speak for a few moments. Uh, and this was the, the main verse I used in my, my talk there. Um, celebrating my dad's legacy. A man that was faithful, consistent. Um, again, provided an example for me to follow kind of going forward. So, my concern, again, when it comes to me, I wasn't always the best example. And so, um, again, my dad's wife was able to say to me that my dad had verbalized on more than one occasion that despite all of these worldly accomplishments that I had in the military over the years, which he thought were pretty cool, um, she said, honestly, what really meant the most to him was the family legacy that you restarted just six years ago. And so um, that was a big source of comfort for me, but also a source of encouragement going forward that I want my family legacy to be one where our family can look forward to a well-done, good and faithful servant at the end of our lives. It's not how you start, it's how you finish the race. And God is most interested in the character that you have at the end of your life. And he is always working to mold you into that. And so if you're looking for a different legacy for your family, if you're looking to improve upon the one that you already have, um, I throw out a few places to start here. This is not an all-inclusive kind of list. Um, these are just a few Simple ones that you can maybe get started with. This Boundaries book by Cloud and Townsend um, explains a lot of relational difficulties that are pretty common in families um, and as we're growing up. And so it, it kind of helps you figure out the past and kind of how we got here. But it also speaks a little bit to the current and what boundaries you may want to put in place kind of going forward. The, the next one I list here is Life's Healing Choices by John Baker. Um, basically deals with the present and helps you find healing in the present as you look to, to move forward and make some changes in your life. And then the, the last one I have up here, kind of looking towards the future, is Your Legacy by James Dobson. Um, he was from Focus on the Family. I think he wrote well over 50 books in his life. He says this is the most significant one that he ever wrote. And so with that uh, self
promotion, I think that's a book that you may be interested in trying to look for. So as we look at our next steps today, we're looking at triggers. We're trying to go from negative to positive, transform our mind. Christ can't do that if you don't know him. We get back to that first commandment from Matthew 22 that talked about love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. We saw that I can only do that through Christ. So until I'm willing to surrender and ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior, there's not really anything that can really change. The next step may be for you today to seek the appropriate help where it's needed. Uh, You can talk to the church. We do counseling here. We have some resources that we can point out to you. Um, But some things, especially deep seated, very deep wounds sometimes are going to require the help of some more folks with some more additional training. And we can also refer to you to some of that if you need that. The third one is joining a life group, celebrate recovery. That's where discipleship, that's where accountability, that's where encouragement happens. And then finally today, The last comment or next step is, do you really want to begin a new legacy today in your family? Maybe today, Mother's Day is a happy occasion for you. You've had a wonderful family, and that's great, and I would give the praise to God for that. Um, Rededicate your family to maintaining that legacy going forward. For many of you in the room, no matter how perfect you may think, Mother's Day may include some triggers for you when you start thinking about family dynamics. So today is the first day of the rest of your life. God loves you. Jesus promised in John 10, 10 that we could have an abundant life. You've got a choice. As we saw, those cycles of family dysfunction are a choice that we can choose to change or not. So let's turn that family trigger to a positive and not a negative, but only you can make that choice. If you would, bow your heads with me, please. If that was you, I know I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, but I've not really done that yet. I have not asked Jesus into my heart. I'm ready to do that now. I want to surrender my life to Christ. It's really just as simple as saying a prayer, reaching out the the hands of your heart, if you will, that just says, God, uh, I've sinned against you. I've gone against what your word says is right, and your word tells me that that separates me from you. I ask you to please forgive me. I ask Jesus Christ to please come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I believe you were crucified for me, buried, rose again on the third day, and you live in heaven, and I have hope of eternity with you by placing my faith and trust in you. And the Bible says if that is the the cry of your heart, that uh, you are now saved and all of heaven is rejoicing. So with every head bowed and eye closed still, If that was you, uh, would you mind just raising your hand? I would love to pray for you if that's you that has joined the family of God. Thank you. I see your hand. 
for others of you. Again, it's your choice. Um, I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to move and be obedient to whatever it is that is prompting you to do. So as we stand together now, I invite the, uh, the prayer team to come forward, the worship team to come forward. If you need to do some work, hand something over to the Lord. I encourage you to come to the front and allow the prayer team to pray with you while you do that. But be obedient to where the Holy Spirit is leading.